Baptist Church, Charlotte. Our, our text is going to come from um, something that I've, I've I've taught from before. This is Ephesians chapter number four. Uh, we're reading verses 17 to 25. If you would just flip over to that. Um, once again, I want to give honor to Pastor Nate, our pastor, and um, such a great leader, and his wife, Charla. And um, I want to thank also uh, those that continue to support our ministry, especially those in the leadership, whether you lead a small group or whether you lead a particular ministry at First Church, we want to thank you for your constant support. Hey, read with me Ephesians 4, 17 to 25. I'm reading for the New King James Version of the Bible. Here begins the reading of God's word. It says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, Paul writes, in the vanity of their minds. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, he writes, because of the blindness of their hearts. Verse 19, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. This is a, a phrase my grandmother used to use on us all the time. Whenever we would step outside the line or say something we shouldn't say, she would say, but but you have not so learned Christ. I, I It makes me smile every time I read that. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, Paul writes, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore put away, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are now members one of another. So far, that is the scripture. And, and my subject tonight is being transformed, being transformed. And by the way, I did share some of this with my small group about a month or so ago. So if you're hearing it for the second time, um, I hope the Lord will share something new with you uh, in this teaching. So we know that transformation or change is hard, right? But as the saying goes, one of the few things you can always count on in life is change. Change is the only constant, they say. Um, let me tell you a little bit of history that I dug up uh, last night, yesterday. It says, when the railroads were first introduced into the United States, it wasn't well received. There was quite a bit of resistance from some folks who feared that this change would be the downfall of the nation, right? Here, here's an excerpt from a letter written by the, the governor, the then governor, Martin Van Buren of the state of New York. He wrote this letter to the president of the United States on January 31st, 1829. He says, as you may know, I'm, I'm quoting from the letter, as you may know, Mr. President, Railroad carriages are pulled at an enormous speed of 15 miles per hour 
by engines, which in addition to endangering life and limb of its passengers, they roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, sear, scaring the life, livestock and frightening men, uh, women and children. Clearly the almighty God never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speeds. Martin Van Buren, governor of New York. And of course you laugh, right? Because 15 miles per hour is, is not that fast. But in, in 18, in 1829, it must have seemed um, scary. But it's the whole notion of change. It's the whole notion of change that we, we, get, we get nervous. We struggle with. We struggle with that. So I want to tell you a story about some change that we discovered um, happened in 1986. A local minister in Los Angeles, his name is Greg Boyle. He had been ministering to the gangs of L.A., sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Every day he would go out uh, into what he called the danger zone, connecting young men and young women with long arrest records. And he would share the good news of Jesus with them and call them to, to break their old ways, break with the current evil ways of your life, he would say. And he would urge them to begin to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. He had a simple message. He would say, you can have a future or you can have a funeral. You pick. <laughs> but Jesus will forgive your sins, wash your past clean in the eyes of God, and give you a hope and a future. Now, to date, that ministry has seen many, many thousands of former gang members leave the pseudo family of the gang for the real family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And not, not because this pastor watered down the gospel. In fact, his message was plain, right? And very forceful that Jesus is calling them to radically break their old ways. All of the destructive and sin-inducing ties to their former life, Jesus was calling them away from that. And as a result, since the mid eighties, each year over 10,000 former gang members from across LA, all across LA, have come through what he has now named Homeboy Industries, and they have made a positive change in their lives. By July 2005, at the time, 1,500 ex-gang members gave their life over to the Lord. That must have been the first or second year in, in his ministry. They took a new direction with the guidance of this pastor, Pastor Gregory. Those, those gang members had to learn a new language. They had to change. They had to learn, uh, they had to buy new clothes. They, they need to get a job and make an honest day's wage. In other words, they had to open up and allow the Lord to begin to change them, to transform them, if you will, through his spirit. That was taken from um, a newspaper called USA Today, some of you may remember, it was published in the July 11th, 2005 um, publication of that newspaper. Now, we know that the Bible insists that a true Christian must undergo change, a metamorphosis, if you will, right? This change of nature, the Bible says, renovates the core values from the inside out, replaces your values with Christ's value and character, changing you from the inside to the outside. 
Now, the speed of this internal change, this overall, which we sometimes refer to as sanctification, will vary from person to person. But the certainty of this change is rock solid. Spirit-wrought change is so fundamental to being a Christian, so evident to Christianity that it is expected, even commanded in the New Testament. And what is more, change this radical on the inside uh, will, event will eventually, inevitably show itself on the outside, right? There's, there's an interface between your inner world and your chosen actions on, on the outer world. Paul wrote in Romans chapter number two, verse six, that when your time comes to stand before the living God, he will render to each one according to your works, right? The evidence that we are truly born again will be demonstrated in the most obvious and irrefutable ways, meaning that what we did and what we didn't do will be evident, will be seen. Why? Because your deeds, that is what you do and do not do, are the proof of what fills your heart. Uh, so let me just say, if, if you're an angry and a bitter person on the inside, if you're hurtful and spiteful in your words and even in your thoughts, guess what people will see of your actions? They will see that same, those same hurtful emotions. They will still see that anger. They will still see those spiteful ways in your demeanor. Jesus told a bunch of spiritual posers in Matthew 7, verse 15, that a tree is known by its fruit. Right? And so obviously, if you're going to plant an apple tree, you shouldn't expect oranges. If you're going to plant some, some pears, you shouldn't expect grapes. Jesus added in Matthew that that out of the out of the outflow, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, I, I can, you can, we can fake our true identity, but just for a little while. In time, the true person will leak out, and what is really and truly inside of you will come out and they will see you for who you are. But the change God brings about is, is pervasive, common to every believer. And, and as such, there is an entire book in the New Testament Bible um, that is completely devoted to this change. Right? It will show you your behavior on the outside being a reflection of what is on the inside. This book is 1 John, and it lists 11 proofs that someone has been born again from the inside out. Let's take a look at some of them. 1 John 2, verse 3 and 4, and I quote, it says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. <laughs> Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. There's a new norm in the lives of believers now. They simply obey God. Here's another one. 1 John 2, verse 5 and 6. By this, we may know that we are in him, and whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in that same way that which he walked. 
In other words, real Christians ought to live like Jesus, just like Jesus did. So that when people see us living and talking and behaving and acting in a certain way, it will reflect positively on Jesus Christ. And it will be they will be drawn to him based on you, your actions, your behavior, your words, your demeanor. Here's another one, 1 John 2 and 15. This one many of you will, will quote with me. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Or 1 John 3, 9 and 10. No one born of God makes practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this is evident. Those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil are different. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And let me just pause there for a second. You will see this all through the book of 1 John. And by the way, this list goes on and on and on, uh, presenting this link between what is true on the inside of the Christian and what shows on the outside. You ought to be one Christian. You ought to be one person. You should live one life at home, one life on the job, one, la one life on the streets. They should know one Don Dixon, right? You shouldn't be a different person at church than you are at work. That's what Jesus called hypocrisy. And, and you see all the, the, the harsh words that Jesus had for, for hypocrisy in the New Testament. As I was studying this, this one part of this study that stopped me in my tracks, and I said to myself, I, I, I realized I don't really measure up to this standard all the time. You can hear these evidences in 1 John and go away thinking, wow, I have to be completely perfect then. If you're born again, you don't sin at all. But we all know that the, the truth about ourselves, we, we are far from perfect because we sin daily. So you say, Pastor Don, what's wrong with me? I, I know in whom I believe, and I am convinced that, that God is able to keep and guard that which I've entrusted to him against that day. But I fail so much. What's wrong with me then? If I'm supposed to be a butterfly soaring above sin, why am I still crawling around the ground like a caterpillar? So, so I want to share um, and emphasize some important truths of where the rubber meet the road in this transformation. Uh, this necessity of an inside-out change. This transformation. It is so important for us to understand and know the inner power that fuels lasting life change. And it is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you about how to plug into that power. How to put everything we, we have learned in the last few months of, of church and learn so far into motion so that we experience more victories than defeats. And, and over time, we become more and more like the Savior because His Spirit is not just in us, but actively working to transform us from what we were to who God wants us to be. So let's look now at verse 17 in detail highlighting these important principles. The first one, keep your eye on the target. 
this is this notion of becoming Christ-like. So um, growing up, I played a lot of sports. I was a, kind of a jock, um, many of which um, was involving some kind of a ball, right? Whether it's baseball or cricket in Jamaica, soccer or football, um, some kind of ball, right? And in baseball, when, when a batter isn't fooled by like an inside curveball, his teammates would rightly say, good eye, right? good eye. And when I was trying to learn golf, I, I didn't do a good job. When the pros would try to teach you, what did they always say? Keep your head down. It's all about the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. And of course, sometimes you want to look down range and, and see where you want the ball to go. But the key to hitting the ball is keeping your eyes on the ball, keeping your eyes on the target. And Ephesians 4 here, Paul tells us, the target. Verse 17 issues this, this blunt command, uh, followed by this explanation. He says, quote, therefore, I say, I say this and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And, and, and let me just clarify real quick here. The word Gentile is a, a general word referring to all non-Jews, all sinners, all pagans, everyone that's not a Jew that's lost to the then Jew, right? Paul is saying, your life must no longer resemble those who are still in their sin and without God. You have left that alone. And what do they look like? He says, uh, if you read further down, he says they are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. He said they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity and they practice every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But here's my here's my phrase. But this is not how you learn Christ. Uh, this description here pictures an incapacity to rightly perceive and respond to the truth about God. And what he's really saying is that left to ourselves, we give ourselves over to empty pursuits, the futility of our thoughts, serving the body only in promiscuity and sinking deeper and deeper into sinful behavior. Every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul says, that's not how you learn Christ. In other words, Don, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on Jesus Christ. Becoming like Christ is your calling. That's your target. It is your purpose for living. It is your purpose for breathing. It is Jesus. Everything and everything else is secondary. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's number one. Number two, as the pastor told those gangbangers out in L.A., he said, cut all your ties to your former life. Verse 22 says, um, you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And it is corrupt through deceitful desires. This, this phrase, this phrase, put off. It describes a, a decisive moment, not a gradual decision. It, it, it's, it's an intellectual assent. It's not a negotiation. You're saying to yourself, I'm turning around. This is the end of that of me. And the verb tense here literally means to strip off as you would dirty clothing. In the verse, what is removed and laid aside is your old self, the old you, 
the you you were before Christ came into your life and saved you. Paul is saying those old ways of meeting your needs, those those old habits that that marked your Christless days of of your uh, of your life of sin. You need to get out of that, back away, throw it away, cut it at the root. Let me bring it home. Don't go to those websites anymore. Uh, delete that app. Uh, throw away those books and magazines and don't buy them anymore. Furthermore, don't hang out with those people that encourage you to keep doing the things that you know are wrong. Those old ways are dead to you now. So, so you might as well get rid of every trace of them. You don't want the temptation. You know, uh, my, my daughter teases me because she, she, she now has heard about my DJ days, right? And, and when I told her that I gave away 10,000 vinyl records, she, she, she laughs. She was like, what are you nuts? You know how much those records are, are worth today? But I have to confess that when I came to Christ, man, it was it was like a flood. And I just wanted to be done with that. I just wanted to be done with everything else. And so I gave away all of my amplifiers. I gave away my mixers. I gave away my turntables. I gave away my records. I gave away everything that had to do with that former life of being a DJ. I wanted to get rid of every trace which allowed me now the time that I needed to focus, to keep my eye on the ball. Uh, one of the best known theologians and church fathers in the history of the Latin church, the Latin Christianity, his name is Augustine. And Augustine lived from 354 to 430 AD. He was saved out of a terrible immoral lifestyle. Before his conversion, he had this mistress, her name was Claudia. Shortly after he found Christ, uh, shortly after he found Christ, Claudia saw him on the streets in the city and she yelled, Augustine, Augustine, crying out after her old lover. The history said that Augustine paid no attention to her. She continues to cry, Augustine, Augustine. It's Claudia, it is Claudia. Augustine responded, but... It's no longer the same old Augustine, he replied, and continued on his way. That, that is the essence of Ephesians 4.22. You have to discard the old you. You have to kind of make a commitment to go forward with Christ and not to look back on the person you were before you came to Christ. Let me let me tell you a little bit more about those gang members who were rescued by the Lord in Los Angeles. Father Greg Boyle told them, as a matter of fact, boys, you're going to have to get rid of those tattoos that you had, those gang tattoos that linked them to a past life that that no longer defined them. And in fact, can put them in serious danger on the streets if they were to be discovered. So Boyle partnered with some local doctors to remove them thereby scrubbing their bodies of the last remaining marks of their their rebel past it was not an easy procedure in fact it was it was painful and many of these street tough people would say it felt like boiling grease being poured over on my skin let me tell you 
it may cause you some pain to break ties with some of your old friends that are ruining your faith. It may it may bug you to stop doing some of the things that you used to do for temporary pleasure. But if you want to plug into the power for real and attain long last lasting change for your life, here's where you start. Stop living a double life. No more straddling the fence. Make a decision right now to cut ties with all of that that links you to the ways that you were before that are not Christ's ways. Make up in your mind that you're going to serve Jesus and Jesus alone and you're going to break, you're going to break those ties with those old ways, those old friends. And yeah, you, you will have to break ties with some of those old friends. I'm not saying that you should discard all of your old friends, but you simply don't continue with them as you were before. They should see that difference. They should see a change in you. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, the Lord is changing you from the inside out. How do we know that? Verse 23, which brings me to lesson number three or point number three. Be renewed in your mind, Paul says and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Uh, notice that this phrase in the text is rendered in the present tense, not in the past tense, which means that it's an ongoing progressive shift, which is happening in the capacity of the mind to spiritually discern the options and decisions which we are now faced with. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind means a new and never before way of thinking is taking root. Uh, the spirit of your mind is is something like the ability to sense the sin, the dirt in an idea or an opportunity before it attaches itself to your life. If you're being led of the spirit, Paul says, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Come on, somebody. If you if you give way to the spirit to lead you, you will see. You will see the tricks of the enemy. You will see him coming after you. I was talking to a brother today, and, and he said, man, from the moment I turned my life over to the Lord, all of the old temptations that were there just began to rear their ugly heads and coming after me more than they ever have. And I said, that's right. The devil is not happy that you walked away from him and turned your back on him and turned your face to the Lord. He's not happy about that. Paul says it like this in Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This, 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 this mind renewal is a deep spiritual change in how the mind assesses and values things. <laughs> In a way, it acts like uh, an early warning system of a kind of spiritual filter, right? You don't say certain things. Stopping the temptation that used to fly under the radar and get you before you even know it. When you are led of the spirit, you, you can discern it. You can discern it and then avoid it even before it affects you. You know, sometimes avoidance is better. Avoidance is better. Isn't that what Samuel told uh, Saul? To obey is better than sacrifice. Just do what I tell you. Do what the Lord says. And stop trying to figure things out. 
So, so how does this fine tuning of the mind to spiritual realities take place? Well, Second Corinthians three eighteen offers this verse that I think is instructive for us. It says, "And we all unveiled with an unveiled face." beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, into, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and that is transforming us into His image from one degree to another. And it's the spirit that is doing that. Uh, it's the same transformation language we find in Romans 12. That we Oh, goodness. All right, let me continue. <laughs> so, so how can this interchange happen? Right? How can this happen for you and for me? I want you to pay careful attention to this verse, this word that says, and we all beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. In other words, we become what we behold. If I give my time to gazing intently at the television or TikTok or whatever, whatever other social media we're consuming these days, I will eventually adopt the way and words of what I see. However, if I'm deeply looking into the word of God, the glory of God, the Bible describes it as. My mind will be reprogrammed. That's what the word of God does when we take on the mind of Christ. I think that's what Paul is saying. We have to reprogram our minds with the word of God. That's why we read. That's why we study. That's why we preach. That's why we sing it. Come Amen. on. Amen. Absolutely. In fact, David writes in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. Your mind has to become sensitive and sensitized to the things of God. When I marinate my mind on the word of God, like when I was studying for this, this Bible study, I'm inputting, I'm uploading, if you will, eternal truths into my spirit. And this changes your thinking and sensitizes your mind differently. Detecting the sin, detecting the temptation, detecting the small amounts of dirt in what you're facing so that you can stay on the straight and narrow, as my parents would say. So to review, let me just review this before this thing cuts out on me again. Number one, keep your eye on the target, right? Number two, cut ties with your pre-Christian past. And again, I'm not saying discard all of your friends. But it's the ways that your friends would lead you that you need to cut ties with. Number three, be renewed in your mind is what we just finished with. And then finally, number four, what did he say? Put on the new you. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Remember, remember verse 22, we are urged to shed the old man. So now you got to put on a new man. The Holy Spirit will instruct us as we put on this new man, something brand new, something created by God to fit you perfectly, but with a likeness to God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Paul writes in Galatians 2 and 20, it's no longer I, but the Christ that lives in me. It's Christ's life that should be obvious now in how you do your job, in how you treat your spouse, in how you live out your single life. Maybe you're still single. How you parent your children. It's not I, it's Christ now. How you respond to criticism. The kinds of things you dwell on and think on. Everything you feel now will find its reference point in this new relationship you have with Jesus. So this is who you are from now on. Your, your essential identity, your new nature is rooted in Jesus Christ. And I, I love how the message translation uh, paraphrases this verse. It, it says, from now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. But the spirit speaks your mother tongue. Ah, I love that. And you just hang on every word. You are dead to sin, but alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run a little errand that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time into, into Christ. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live any longer. After all, you're not living all under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in Jesus Christ, in the freedom of God. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much done. But one day, I just want to encourage you, brethren. One day, this will all be over. The Bible says that we will be like him. We shall see him as... He is. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I like this quote from a woman by the name of Ruth Bell. She was driving along the highway and she saw this sign and she said, you know what? I want you to copy that sign down and I want you to put it on my, on my gravestone, on my headstone. The sign read, end of construction. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Work in progress. This work needs intentional, deliberate focus on the target that drives the passion to become more like Jesus. And for her and for me, this meant stripping away my old life, having found my new life in Jesus Christ, in God's word, and now purposely living out my new identity in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, everybody. That's all I have for you tonight. And notwithstanding the technical difficulty, I thank the Lord for allowing me to communicate this word to you. I hope you got some. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.